All right, how we doing, church? All right, it is, uh, I'm so thankful um, to be here for multiple reasons. Thankful to have our old friend, Vasti Renhifo. I'm still getting used to And some other familiar faces that have moved out of town and are back. So good to see you guys. And um, God really wants you to hear this message today because, I know that because um, I've been, if you've watched my updates with my health, I've been battling. Um, I got a migraine yesterday morning that was, you know, if, I had headaches my whole life, but I didn't have migraines, and it's, it's not the same. Um, and uh, it was, it was rough, and it was, I wanted to be it with love from Jesus yesterday, and something I wanted to do that. Um, and so the day was kind of like, if you've had migraine, you kind of lose the day. So um, if that would have been today, ain't no way. So I texted the staff, hey, I need your prayer, and it was kind of code for be ready. Because if I wake up Sunday like I wake up yesterday, there's no way I can, uh, I can be here. And God's been um, so good. I actually had an appointment with my doctor Friday, and uh, it was about the headaches. So they've uh, got a plan and a plan B to adjust my medicine and dosage issues. So we're figuring all that out, and I'm hopeful that we're on the right track. But I'm super hopeful um, of what God wants to do in your life and your heart as we continue this series um, bottom line, which is connected to money, but I'm really thankful for you as a church. Um, I need to go back to last week, whether you were here or not, but last week I did a whole thing on, should we talk about this? Can I say this? And I'd had some advice from some pastors outside of Relentless that, hey, maybe I don't think you can say that in church. I don't think you can go there. Um, and we went there. So the two words were white supremacy. So we talked about that um, the ideology of that, and I've been so encouraged in the last week. Now, maybe I'll get a really nasty email today, but I got some beautiful feedback. Um, uh, there, was, there, was somebody, there was a group of people that went to lunch, um, mixed race group that went to lunch and discussed, and that's where pastors really found out if they did anything is at lunch. I told you last week, the worst thing you can say is, what was that about again? What was he talking about today? All right, so they went, and they were just talking about um, the reality of white supremacy and what they knew, what they didn't know, um, and, and even some differences in how they were raised versus how they're raising their kids. And it was like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I ever heard anything about white supremacy growing up. Um, and here's how we got there, because you might be wondering, man, I got to go listen to that. Well, you can't. It, our recording failed last week, so it does not exist. It never happened according to the World Wide Web. But I do want to, we've been in this series about the bottom line, talking about money. So this is our verse from last week, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we unpacked that. And I just told you, I was uncomfortable um, as a white male um, teaching you what God wanted to teach you, which is be content with what you have. I couldn't do that and ignore the gender inequalities and the racial inequalities uh, that exist in our country today. So we unpacked some of that. Con yes, we should all be content with what we have. But, and, and some of those inequalities, I connected back to this ideology of white supremacy. And I think the, the, um, you know, the, the, the counter argument is, yes, of course, there was white supremacy, but it doesn't affect anything today. So we tried to attach it to some things today. Uh, we attached it to 2017 Charlottesville. 
Uh, we attached it to two weeks ago, Boat Dock, Montgomery, Alabama, and we attached it to the Confederate flag that I can't seem to go up and down 401 without seeing somewhere, somehow. And we just talked about um, we have no shame in, in speaking against white supremacy, the ideology of white supremacy. We're not calling anybody a white supremacist. I would have to know your heart. But we, if anybody should speak boldly against that ideology, it is the people of Jesus, right? That's easy, right? This is an easy one. Church, multi-ethnic church, we're going to have to walk through a lot of stuff. We've already walked through a lot of stuff. I tell you, that's, it's our history. We planted in, uh, we'll have our nine-year birthday, September 17th. Be ready, be excited, all right? So we planted 2009, 14, 14, all right? It was weeks after Ferguson, Missouri happened. And there's been story after story. And um, we've lived through two elections as a church. There's going to be very difficult things to, to work through. If we can't get on the same page about white supremacy, we're in trouble. But we, I've been so encouraged in some of the conversations and, and feedback that I've gotten since last week. And uh, since we can't send the message out, I at least wanted to, bring you up to speed that that was a big day for us. The, the other thing I love about this series is the questions you've been asking. I love it um, when, when people come up to me and say, what about this? So, so um, last, last week, guy came up, because we preached that verse, be content with what you have. Guy came up to me right after church and said, what about like drive and ambition? Like, are we not allowed to have, amb- like what do we do with our ambition does being content mean we can't have drive and ambition? I was like, no, it doesn't mean that. Um, but I didn't have much else for him. I was like, just wait till next week. I'll hit that next week. So here I'm hitting it right now. And I actually stole a line from, uh, from uh, the gospel singer, Kirk Franklin. I was, I was reading up on this. And he said, as far as ambition and content go, one has to drive, one has to ride. Right? That's a pretty good statement, right? Meaning, if me and you are going somewhere, we both can't drive. If I'm driving, you're going wherever I take us. You're, you're right? So one has to submit to the other. So contentment has to drive the car, and ambition needs to be there. What we don't want, Relentless, is a church full of people without ambition, <laughs> right? That is not healthy or good. God gave you ambition and drive. It just has to bow down, right, to contentment, right? So contentment, and the, and the beautiful thing about both things is they come from the same place. Your contentment comes from Jesus. He's the one that gives us contentment right? And our ambition and drive comes from Jesus, right? We honor him with excellence, right? If you're, you know, um, you're being promoted at work because you're doing a good job, God gets glory in that if you're known as a Christian. So don't hear anything we said last week as a anti-ambition. We're pro-ambition. We're pro-drive. We just think our ambition should follow and bow down our contentment because we're commanded to be content. Here's another question I was asked. Uh, The very first week we started the series, the bottom line, we unpacked Matthew 6, 24, and Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other or vice versa. You cannot serve both God and money. And this young lady, college student um, named Lovely, and she, she's a lovely young lady. Her name is Lovely. That was funny. No, not at all. a little bit funny. Um, she came up and she said, hey, what if, what, if, what if I want money so I can help people? Like, what if, what if I, what if on them, I want to make a bunch of money so I can help people? Is that bad? I don't think so. I like how she's thinking. I was like, no, that's not bad. The desire to help other people, that's godly. That's who we are. That's how we leverage our money. We'll talk about more about that next week. But I said, but you also have to listen to what Scripture's saying. There must be some danger in having money 
that is specific to people that have money that we need to watch out for, which is where we're going to jump in today. This is a crazy, if you think about it, it was countercultural then, it's countercultural now. All right, so listen to this interaction. We, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us the same account, so it's a really important conversation between Jesus and a man. Verse 16, Matthew 19. A man came up to Jesus and asked this question, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Right? It's, 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 the, it's the heartbeat. You may know people that don't know Jesus will never come to church. Those are the people we want you to pray for and invite. We're a church for the untold and unconvinced. But it's the question that's been asked in different forms for centuries and centuries. He wants to know how to live forever. It's a great question. The problem with this question is the phrasing, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And that's, a, that's as a gospel-centered church, what does that mean? Well, the gospel is you can't do anything to get eternal life. It's not your goodness. What good thing? And, and that's what's crazy. This dude, is, I think, it was 2,000 years ago, but I think he was American. I can't prove it, right? But you can go to, I'll go all, you go to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You can go to Miami, Florida. You can go to Phoenix, Arizona. You can go to Boston, Mass. You can go to Kansas City, Kansas. You can go rural, urban, and you can survey the whole population. If you believe in God or not, what's your best guess at how to get to heaven if there is one? And the number one answer in every single place will be some version of be good, live good, let my good outweigh the bad. We're not a Christian nation, and that answer proves it. That is, the, that is an offensive answer to Jesus. If you could good your way to Jesus, then Jesus is hanging on a cross saying, what do you need me for? That's the point of the gospel. You can't do enough good things to get to heaven. It's worthless. This dude thinks, hey, if I do good, I'll get eternal life, but he's coming to Jesus because he's the teacher, and he's asking this great question. So just so you know, because Jesus isn't going to get it to it here because he hasn't gone to the cross, cross and rose, risen from the dead. If you're asking that question, which would be awesome if you're here, like, what must I do to gain eternal life? It's not what you do. It's, it's what you trust. It is a faith step. We say trust because believe is not, believing in God doesn't do much, but it's a trusting. That's the faith and trust in Jesus is what gains you eternal life. Believing in what he did counts for you. Let's see how Jesus answers the question. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? Wrong question. There's only one who is good, and it's not you. He didn't say that. I added that in. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. All right? And our guy says, which ones? All right? That's a good question, right? Give me the list, Jesus. Like, I got to keep the commands. All right, can you be more specific? Anybody, like you rule followers, you list takers, you know, you people that just, you know, there's nothing better in your life than crossing something off a list. This dude, like, I just... Just, I hope it's not a long list. Give me what I got to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, Jesus messes with him. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, good list from Jesus. We, I say he's messing with him because what we know from the totality of Jesus' ministry and scripture and the gospel is that's impossible. If that's what you got to do to get to heaven, nobody's going. Now, this dude might not have killed anybody. He might not have committed adultery, although, remember, Jesus changed the rules. He said anybody who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery with her in his heart. So he, he changed those to the deeper heart meeting. Maybe he didn't steal. Maybe he didn't lie, give false testimony. Maybe he did honor his father and mother. There's no way every second of this dude's life he loved his neighbor as himself. Who does that? Perfectly every day their whole life. Nobody, and that's the point of the gospel, right? And we have a church 
culture and a religion culture that teaches people that you got to be good to be with Jesus and get to heaven. You got to do this and do this. We're pro-obedience, but that's not what saves us. What saves you? Jesus and Jesus alone, right? That's why I share stuff about uh, my own journey and my own uh, headache and migraine and health issue and and, and even in this series, some of my own struggles with my relationship with money, we talk about this series. We said we want your relationship with God to impact your relationship with money. We do that just to remind you that because you're on a stage doesn't mean you have it all together, right? In fact, the point is none of us have it all together. Some of us fake like we do better than others. And if you're one of those, you got to find a different church because you're hurting our vibe here, right? When we have people that are seemingly have it all together, it messes up two things. One, it makes people think that's possible. And two, it hurts your relationship with God because it's built on a fakeness and a fraudulent thing if everything's always great for you. It's just not real life. So, so Jesus used these commands because he knows, and we know from Scripture, that's how he answered the question, nobody is good except for God. Nobody has loved their neighbor as themselves perfectly for their whole life except this dude. Look how he answers. He says, all this I've kept, the young man, he was young. What do I still lack? All right? He just said, all these I've done. I've never given false testimony. And then he answers with a lie. I've, all, all, I've kept all these commandments. And he's thinking of the big ones. He doesn't understand the reality of loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't, that's the purpose of the gospel. We need Jesus. I can't love my neighbor as myself without Jesus. Only Jesus' love can help me do that perfectly. And this, this dude is so delusional that he, and it must be the same game we play. It must be on comparison. He must think that he's doing that better than others, all right? And we do that so well, right? It's all about, you know, the curve in school. If we all take a test in here, if we all today, sorry, we got an algebra two test to end the service. We all take an algebra two, right? You may, you may flunk, but if you flunk better than the rest of us, then you got the best score, so in spiritual life, yeah, he may have been doing pretty good at not doing those things. And we think if, as long as we're doing better than most humans, then God must be okay with us. And God says, no, that's the point of the gospel. You're not compared to other humans. The standard is holy perfection. Only Jesus came and lived a sinful life. No, and it doesn't matter how less bad you are than someone else. It's irrelevant. And that guy, he was just judging himself. He looked around and thought, compared to my cousin and my uncle's, I'm doing pretty good. I've kept all these, Jesus. Maybe his pride wouldn't let him do what he should have done, which is just confess. Yeah, I'm messing up, Jesus. He said, no, I got that. I got that. What do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Notice how Jesus answers that, how he gets to the end. What does he really want from you? All your money? No, what he wants is to follow him. We talk about relationship over religion. Religion is doing stuff and keeping rules and lists. This is not about religion. It's about a relationship. What does he want? I'm going this way, Jesus says. What I really want from you is to follow me. Now, pastors have used this to try to get in people's pockets, and you got to give all your money, right? We support the poor as a church. You'll hear more about that in September. All right, we do some great things with some great ministries. So if you really love Jesus, whatever's in your pocket, we're going to pass the plate. You ever been in that church? You know, you guys have told me crazy stories about churches you've been to. I'm like, no, that didn't happen, but no, it did. Where they would pass the plate, they didn't like the result, so they pass it again, they didn't like the result, and they're like, well, nobody's going home till we get this, well, whatever, like crazy stuff, right? That's not what this is saying. It's not saying real Christians give all your money to the poor. What he's saying is, 
I want you to follow me. This dude loved his money. That's why God, that's why Jesus said what he said. He's like, I just want you to follow me. The problem with you, though, young man, the problem with you is you love your money so much. When I go this way, you're not going to come with me because of your money. Remember what Jesus said, you know, two weeks ago, the bottom line, no one can serve both masters. So you love your money so much that to follow me, you got the only way you're going to be able to follow me, you're so addicted to your stuff and your money, you got to give it all away. That's the only way we can... Do this relationship. The only way you're going to follow me is to get rid of your stuff. That's what he called that man to do. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus just told him, if you want to follow me, you got to get rid of all your stuff. And he was like, oh, you're kidding me. All right, now, before we go to the next verse, some of your versions of Jesus think, oh, I know what Jesus is going to do next. He's going to be like, no, no, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. No, no, I didn't mean all, all. I meant like most all. I meant 40%, and, right, and start this negotiation. Parents, everybody, if you've got multiple kids, you got the negotiator, all right? Yeah, yeah, you got the one. Bedtime is this, 10. What about 10, 15? There's always a why, there's always a question, right? Jesus, some, sometimes we, we're all guilty of this. Sometimes we create a God or a Jesus out of our own mind, that's not the, that's what's beautiful about scripture. We get to know how he dealt with people in situations. He's counter-cultural. So sometimes it's like culture says this and Jesus says this. And we think, well, Jesus couldn't have meant that because that's not what culture says, right? Jesus wins, right? If you, maybe you've created a Jesus and you negotiate with Jesus. He's not a negotiator, right? He's very matter of fact. He's gentle and loving and gracious, but he didn't, he didn't chase this guy at all. In fact, we never hear about this guy again in Scripture. We don't know what happened to him. That was the end of his part, the end of his story. He walks away sad, and Jesus doesn't say anything because there's just no negotiation as far as he will not take second place. He, he, either you serve God or you serve money. You can't do both. That was the point of, of the whole series. Then Jesus said this. To his disciples, not to that guy. He says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll tell you again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. <whistles> Jesus is, you talk about a countercultural, upside-down revolutionary statement? Because in that culture, there was an assumption that if you're doing well, that God is with you and blessing you. And probably the reason you're doing well is because God loves you and has blessed you. And those, those were the people that, that, that everybody kind of applauded. And they're probably a little closer to God than to me because they got stuff, and that's proof. How would, how would they do so well if God wasn't with them, right? So for Jesus then to say, it's hard for people with money to go to heaven, and then he uses this example, and people have tried to change this to say something else. I've studied it and read people a lot smarter than me. You know what he meant when he said it's harder for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than rich people to get into heaven? You know what he meant? He meant it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? It's not all this other stuff people have made up, but maybe he meant this. He was using a, a word picture that's ludicrous on purpose because that can't happen, and that's the point. Why? Why can't a rich man go to heaven, right? I think, I think there's a lot... A lot to that. And, and if you're shocked by Jesus' statement, so were the disciples. Here's how they responded. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? 
these people are close to God. That's why God's blessed them with money. You're telling me they can't go to heaven. Then what does that mean for me? Well, who can get saved if rich people are in trouble? And Jesus looked at them, verse 26, and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Whew. Okay, so we got, a, we got some hope here. So what is the deal? What is the danger? What, why, why is Jesus, it feels like he's really harsh, right? And here's, here's how I'm gonna word it. I think it is difficult for the rich to recognize their own spiritual poverty. Understand? Think about that. Not, not uh, financial poverty, but spirit. What it, the gospel's built on, that's what, that's what we all, brothers and sisters, we, we, don't, we don't put people on pedestals. What do I know about you? You can't, you can't good your way to God. Same about me. None of us have a, a behavioral resume that is worth anything in front of a holy God. So we're all on the same page. Well, Jesus is telling us that there's something that money does. When you do well, when you get a promotion, when you get a raise, when you make it, whatever that looks like for you, it, we don't mean to, but somehow sometimes it causes us to look at the poor in a way that Jesus wouldn't want us to. Sometimes we look at ourselves in a way Jesus wouldn't want us to. And there's something about the gospel which is built on, I have this incredible need for Jesus. I can't get to God. I can't get grace and mercy on my own doing. I can't only get it through Jesus. And there's something about when we get money that makes that difficult to admit, man, there's something I can't handle, right? Because money provides you, right? If you don't want to go to the store, you Instacart, right? And you can, there's just all kinds of things that money makes things easier. Money can't buy happiness. I mean, it can buy a lot, right? Well, there's something about the self-sufficiency of wealth that makes it harder to connect with God and the gospel, all right, now, some of you are like, I'm glad he's telling those rich people. Here's the problem, right? It's all relative, right? So we got some ballers in the room. When you go to these AAU tournaments, there's some coaches that they find a sorry division. They'll sign up for the division. They'll post it all over the internet how they won this tournament with all the other bad teams, right? It's all relative. What's a real tournament is when it's open. When it's open, everybody can come. And it's all the best, the best in the city, and everybody comes. Then you get a real winner. You see who the real. So for you to say I'm not rich because you don't live in a great house or drive a fancy car, that's, that's, that's narrow. That's America. God doesn't look at America. He looks at the world. So a lot of you, maybe almost all of you are rich. If you, don't, if you get out of our American minds and just look at the world, if you make $60,000, Everybody stand up if you, just kidding, don't, we're not, we don't do that. <laughs> if you make $60,000, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric uh, politically about the 1%. If you make $60,000, you're in the top 1% of the world in income, right? Now, if, if you make $15,000, you make five times the average in the world, right? To me, if, if you're in the top 20%, which if you have an automobile, I think 18% of the world has, an, has, a, has a vehicle, owns a vehicle. Um, running, if you have an automobile, running water, electricity, clean water, indoor plumbing, you're in the top 20% of the world in what you have. And you think, well, I'm not in the top 20% of my neighborhood. That is, that's irrelevant, right? To me, if you're in the top 20% of something, you're doing pretty well. And I think, I think we're... When Scripture says rich, I think that's, I think that's us. I want to I get to what Jesus said it, and then Paul picked up on that. And he's talking to Timothy about church. And I want you to know, like, what we teach, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is, 
Uh, we'll get to this in a series coming in October. But what that means is really important because God tells us if a church is going to go under and not make it, it's going to be based on a word, a, a Bible word, doctrine. If we start to, tw- maybe God didn't say that, maybe God didn't mean that, maybe we, you know, doctrine is really important. Here's how Paul says it. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he said people are going to twist things to make money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We want godliness and contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Right? Some of you have heard that. You didn't know it was in the Bible. You brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out. Right, I've told you before, I worked in a funeral home for almost three years, right? So I was around death, and, and it's, the old statement is true. You've never seen a, a hearse with a U-Haul behind it because you can't take your stuff with you, right? I, what I did specifically for the funeral home, I did several things, but my main job was I would go do pre-planning. You ever done it with people? So I would sit down with somebody who's alive and well and just doesn't want their family to have to make a bunch of decisions at the time of their death. So we would plan their funeral. And I, I could talk up here... You know, I, you know, I got to be shorter in a few weeks when NFL starts, but I don't care now because we got, we got three more weeks. I'm just kidding. Um, I, could, I could stand up here until the NFL comes on and tell you stories of sitting in people's homes and craziness of what they want. I had a woman that uh, she's like, she's an old woman, um, and she says, I want, uh, I want my cat cremated and put in the casket with me. And her cat's right there, and I'm thinking, what makes you think you're going to outlive your cat or, you know, you know, you may very well go before the cat, but my job was not to push back, just to take notes. She wants her cat in the casket with her. Right. I had another one. It's, it's Pet Sunday. People love their pets. She, this, this woman just had a different view. She was fun. It was one of the fun, more fun appointments, and she says, um, all right, at the beginning of the service, when everything quiet, she had a bunch of dogs. She said, I want you to play the song, Who Let the Dogs Out, that all my dogs run into the auditorium with the <laughs> casket up front. And I don't know if either one of those ladies are still living because that was years ago, but uh, probably not because my old boss would give me a call. He's like, what did you write? Like, what are you? I was like, I just, that's what you wanted. That's what I do. <laughs> we know. This is just logic 101. Scripture's so logical. I love that it's faith, but it's also rational. He's, you know you can't take anything with you, right? You can't take your account. You can't take any material possessions. You know it doesn't go with you. But yet, be real with yourself. How many hours and stresses and worries and energy and effort do we do trying to accumulate stuff that doesn't go into the forever that we're closer to today than we've ever been before? Paul continued, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And here's what I'm talking about. Just We don't all have it together. I'm just being real with you. That statement has not been true for a lot of my life. Food and clothing has not been enough. And God says, If you can eat and you can clothe yourself, that's enough to be content. What about the people that don't have food or clothing? Well, the people of Jesus should be front and center in making sure people in our community have food and clothing. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. He continues, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then you'll remember this from last week. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many 
pangs. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, right? That, some of you know my wife that surprises people. I told them first service, one of her favorite shows to watch is that show Alone. You've seen that show Alone where they send people out and they gotta figure out how to survive. It's, it's awful, but she loves it, all right? So, um, they'll, and that's where I think of when I hear the word snare because the ones that do well, they, they do these, these little snares. So basically this poor little, why do you like that show, Kelly? This poor little innocent rabbit, never did anything to anybody, is walking by and it's just the same path and it steps into something, the snare grabs it and it's stuck and it's food the next night. That's, that's my wife, that's what she likes. Um, but that's the word that scripture uses, that, that the desire to be rich is a trick, it's a snare. I want to tell you another story from Jesus. Um, it's, Jesus kept people's attention because he told stories. He's the best speaker, storyteller ever. I know stories um, are, are what it's about because I can see, especially on this topic of money, when I tell stories about money, you guys lean in because everybody has a relationship and thoughts about money. Well, Jesus told stories all the time. He told this story. I'll tell it quickly. He was in an agricultural environment, talked to a bunch of farmers. He said, hey, a farmer went out and scattered some seed. He scattered some along the path, but the birds came and ate it and never grew. Then he scattered some on shallow soil, so it came up, but it didn't have any roots, so it didn't last. Then he scattered some, and it grew up, and it was great, but then the thorns choked it out. Then he scattered some on good soil, and it grew, and it was beautiful, and it multiplied. And he was like, you get it? And the disciples were like, we don't get it. So they asked him, like, hey, can you help us out? So I... I skipped the part where he told the story. I didn't tell it as good as he did, but then they ask him to explain it, and he does. Here it is. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. This is why we pray right here, because people can hear it, and our enemy, Satan, immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them, and it never grows. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Here we've seen this, right? The ones who, they hear the word, and they receive it with joy, but they have no root and they, they're good for a while, but when tribulation or persecution or pandemic, it doesn't say pandemic, arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. This is the point. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones is who we want to be. We hear the word, we accept it, we bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times. That's the church we want to be. We want to church, be a church that makes disciples, that leaves a, a Jesus imprint on our community, that helps those that need food and clothing, that helps people that are hopeless, right? There's a lot of people that have a lot in our community, but spiritually, they're, they're bankrupt, right? And we, we bring the, the gospel as the power is in the gospel. We want to bear fruit as a church and in our lives. But I want you to go back to that deceitfulness. There's the snare, Jesus warning against the rich. It's all pointing to this. There's something that, there's something that money lies about with us, right? So let's name that deception. The lie and deception is that money can bring contentment to and satisfy your soul. That money can satisfy your soul and it can bring that contentment that we all long for, right? And we could tell a thousand stories of celebrities in our culture that, you know, from our view, have everything anybody could want and they're so empty and they're struggling with life. And money, there, there's a deceitfulness of riches that if I just had, we see this in surveys and uh, we've seen the economic surveys. They did this years ago. They asked people in all the different um, groups. And I say groups because we gotta be careful, church. The, there's so much against us, right? There's, 
a multi-ethnic church, we say that the gospel unites people that culture says shouldn't be in the same room worshiping together or doing life together, right? So in our culture, there's a rich, poor, war. they call it class warfare. And I don't like that word because think about it, class warfare, it comes from upper class, middle class, lower class. Low, people have lower, less class, they're a lower class of people. Like even our wording is jacked up. They're not a lesser class of people. How do God's people look at poor people? It's not, I wonder what they did to be out there you know, begging for, for food. That's not how we look at them. We look at them that they have, a, they have something we need. They have a dependence on God because they don't know where the next meal is coming from. We should depend on God like that even if we do have food in the refrigerator, right? So there's something deceptive about a satisfaction of our soul. So, so I was telling you the income survey. They asked people, how much would you need to be like, I'd be, I'd be content if I had this? You ever heard that? The people making 25 grand, if I could make 70, I'd be set. The people making 70, if I made 125. People making 125, if I had 250. And on up, he's like, well, I'd like to test that theory. If I made 250, I promise you I'd be content. And maybe you would. But Jesus is telling us, and it's true 2,000 years later, there's a deceitfulness of riches. There's, There's something it promises that it can't deliver. And if you're looking at it to satisfy your soul, you may get it. You may not, but when you do, you're going to think, man, it's not all that I thought it would be. And if you are blessed, then there's a responsibility that comes with that, and we'll talk about that next week. But I just want us to name this deception of money that if I had this, if I could pay that student loan off, if I could do this, I'd be set, right? No, what Jesus says is if, if you'll follow me, you'll be content. And I'm a good God. I want to help you with that student debt. Like, I'm not going to ignore that. I want to help you with that. But I don't want your contentment to come from paying that off. Your contentment needs to come from me because I don't share. You either follow that or you follow me. It's one or the other. Now, I I did some false advertising, and I apologize. I don't think I've ever done this before. Two weeks ago, I said, in two weeks, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to blow your mind. And I told you, my wife doesn't want me to tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. All right? I ain't going to tell it. Why? Because I'm learning slowly. If my wife says, don't tell that story, probably shouldn't tell that story, all right? So let me tell you the point of that story as I close. The point of that story, my dad was a marketing um, and business teacher at high school before he became assistant principal, and he loved numbers. I've always loved numbers and math and, and stats for sports, good grief. I mean, I, would, I was such a nerd. I would, my preacher, my preacher thought it was the coolest thing. I would eat breakfast. This is going to blow some of you young people away. I would eat breakfast cereal every morning, and I would read the paper. Yeah, it was a newspaper. You didn't know who won the game until the paper came. All right? So, you, so I'd, I would memorize box scores. So then I would go to church and hang out with pastors, and they'd be like, hey, what Barry Bonds do that? He's three for four, one homer, two RBIs. I memorized all these box scores. Can't do that anymore. Um, but I've always liked numbers. So I feel like I've been a, a pretty good uh, manager of money because those are connected. And uh, there's a, this is disconnected from the story. But I just, I made a statement out loud in a conversation with my wife, and it really, God really spoke to me in it just recently. The statement was, you know, because I also, not by myself, there is checks and balances and accountability. We'll talk about that next week as far as how we deal with money as a church. Um, I'm not a counter or a depositor or any of that kind of stuff, but I do, you know, work with the budget and how our, where our money goes and all those things. And I made the, the, the statement of, you know, 
I'm, I'm very conservative with money as a church because we want to be healthy and we want to continue to be able to pay our rent, pay our staff and all those things. And in Joan's money, I, can, I tend to be more of a risk taker, right? Because high risk, high reward, right? If you ever filled out that stuff for your, if you do like what kind of retirement, whatever, I'm always like the most aggressive, right? More aggressive. I, and, and, I, and I just made the statement of, you know, I, I'm more aggressive with Joan's money. I would never be aggressive with relentless money and take risk with relentless money. And God spoke to me of, they're equally not your money. It's no different. Jones money, I thought Jones money was my money. Relentless money is God's money. And we've even had that in staff meetings. I've said, hey, when we go on a trip, we're going to find the cheapest rental or whatever because this is, people are working their tails off. They're sacrificially giving so that we can have a staff and have a building and reach the world with Jesus. And this is God's money. But I never really looked at Jones money as God's money in the same exact way. And it is. And if you're like, well, what do I do? Like, we'll get to, we'll get to the, we've been in a lot of like the harshness of what Jesus has said. Bottom line, no one can serve two masters. Keep your life free from the love of money. And then today, acknowledge and own the deception and the danger. You're not exempt. We are gonna be the one. Hey, if I ever get this much, I'm gonna, we always wanna be the exception, right? And that's possible, but only through Jesus. So next week, We'll give you a little more proactive steps. But for today, I would just ask you to pray this prayer this week that we talked about two weeks ago. God, how, do you, how does my relationship with you, how do you want my relationship with you to impact my relationship with money? Right, because this is not a message for the people with a lot, right? Greed is just a bigger issue with people with little as it is with lot, you know what I'm saying? And I wanna, I wanna stand you up. We're gonna pray together a little differently um, because God is good and he's good in our finances He's worth it. If you'll put your whole life, you, there's a contentment you can have. That's what Paul said last week. If I have nothing, you know, when I had everything, when I had nothing, there's a secret of contentment, and that is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So he's good when your life is hard, and we've got several in this service. There's just a lot. We're not a big church. There's a lot going on that I want to pray for some folks and make you aware. If you get on our website and go, um, Misty, make sure this is true, to our What's Happening page, you can see um, some of the meal trains and stuff. I believe on the, all right, if it's not true, it'll be true in an hour, sorry. Um, so if you wanna help some of these people, but, but just, um, this is fresh as of yesterday, so thankful for Vasti coming to help us lead. Seth is in Kentucky. Um, his mom is a cancer survivor from 20 years ago, and uh, they found a lot of cancer in various parts of her body yesterday, so Seth and family are, are struggling, so please pray for the Helfrick family. Um, also, Randy and Brenda, who are, Randy, they've been with us from the beginning. He had a hip replacement this week. He's doing really well. Um, and, um, and then we got uh, um, a family. Both, both spouses, Sarah's here. Brad and Sarah, both spouses have had surgery in the last two and a half weeks. Brad had a, a, his colon taken out yesterday. He's going to be in the hospital for several days. Um, so if you know Brad and Sarah and their kids, remember them in prayer. And then Robin, Taylor, we've been all been praying. Robin kind of helps keep our prayer stuff organized, but we've been trying to not burden her with that because she's started her chemo and it's going to be a beautiful story um, of, of healing in her. So we're just going to pray for a bunch of people together before we go. Father, I just, I just named the stuff that I know, and there's no chance that I know everything in this room that needs prayer. So for all the physical, emotional, relational heartache, this world is so hard, God. We need you. And that's, you're so good to say, we just won't make it if we chase the wrong things. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us know it's hard when we're blessed 
to forget where our blessings come from. Help us to remember the giver of all good things is you. Help us keep our life free from the love of money and to learn contentment no matter what. And God, help us learn the danger um, in having. God, help us be generous. Help us be generous with our prayers, uh, with, with food, with whatever. Help us view people with less than us in the way you would want us to. And God, help us be a church that multiplies where we don't get choked, our life doesn't get choked away by chasing wealth or the deceitfulness of it. Pray you'd help us in that. And I pray for each of those families I just mentioned, God, that they would feel your love, your support. You would bless and heal in every single situation. We pray and go in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week.